0: Live. all right. the next episode of the Thunderstock Show where we discuss valuable brainstorms that enhance your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. Very excited about today's guest. It is my first guest from a mastermind I joined called CMOx. It is Reed. and your how do I pronounce your last name Reed? Vanderveen Vanderveen as yeah. it, as it seems.
1: Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing well, Ross. How are you man?
0: I'm good. I'm glad glad to have you on today. And talk I'm to excited a, a to be here, fractional CMO.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: So, Reed, we discussed a little bit off camera that our communities are a little bit different, separated by geography. Can you tell uh, my listeners and and myself kind of where you're from and where you grew up?
1: Absolutely. Yeah i I reside in the very southeast corner of South Dakota. Uh, the largest metro area in South Dakota called Sioux Falls. I live on a farm just outside of town. Um, We live on a generational farm, my wife and I. So she is, I think, the seventh generation out there. Our kids, we got four kids. We'll be the eighth generation on this old family farm. And uh, we absolutely love it. Um, We get the best of the best, I feel like. I'm a little biased, obviously. But we get the best of the best in terms of like all the seasons out here. It is it is unseasonably warm here today. It was 34 degrees when I rolled into the office and um, we're getting five inches of snow tomorrow. So um, we get uh, really, really cold winters down to like negative 50 wind chills, negative 20, 30 air, uh, air temp. And then summers are, you know, north of triple digits, ridiculous humidity, mosquitoes, the size of crows, um, all sorts of fun stuff. So But I love it. Spring is awesome. Fall is awesome. I spend a lot of time outside. Uh, So, um, yeah, we get we get a little bit of everything around here.
0: So one of the first questions I have that comes to mind, a very popular television show, Yellowstone. Uh, (laughs) Are are you an enjoyer and do you see similarities that are maybe less violent than the show?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Sioux Falls is like we a lot of people around here like to think that we're we're a lot more, say, metro than we are. Uh, we're we're the largest city in the state of South Dakota, and I don't. I think we're barely over two hundred thousand people. In so the metro
0: like area, yeah, or the whole area,
1: the 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 metro area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not it's not a huge it's not a huge uh you know populated area. Uh, Yellowstone's awesome. Yellowstone, I would say, looks a lot more like West River, South Dakota, than it does East River, South Dakota. Uh, we're split. Um, kind of two almost separate complete geography uh landscapes in the state um and west river looks a lot more like montana colorado um a lot more landscape we're pretty flat here plains uh definitely like the heart of the the great plains and then you get further west you get the badlands you get mount rushmore all that that kind of stuff
0: so there's there's almost like um i'm not Forget, forget my lack of geography understanding. But is there the Rocky Mountains that kind of splits the east and west? Is that the landmark? Um, or is it no, just the Missouri River. Missouri River. Okay, yep. fair enough. Yep. So, so we just call it
1: East River and West River. It's yeah. almost like two complete, like we have that like brother sister like internal family thing where it's like, oh, you make fun of West River, but like if you're from out of state, don't talk bad about them. Only we mm. get to talk bad about them, sort of the thing. No, that so.
0: makes sense. We yeah. experienced that a little bit where I'm from. There is the Susquehanna river and okay. it is pretty adjacent. It's very near the Appalachian like mountain range. So basically when you're East of the Susquehanna and the Appalachian, you get the more populated um, counties, you know, Lancaster, they call country. There's 570,000 people in the County. Right. Okay. So I wouldn't call that very country, but compared yeah. to Philadelphia and the surrounding counties. Sure. And then you go west of like, you kind of go over the river and um, like west of the Appalachian. And now you have, they call it Pennsylvania, um okay. <laughs> which is very much, you know, mountains, hunting, fishing, yep. um, a- agriculture, just very, yeah. that's truly rural, right? Right. So landmass areas that are similar to the size of where I live with like a 10th of the population, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe 20,000, 15,000 people in a County, but and that county is just a range of the mountains so um we get you know like like you said the east and west side pennsylvania is a really weird state because you have philadelphia and then the rest of the state okay uh, pretty much nice so yeah there's a (laughs) you'll go to a school and then the ffa you know bunch of people wearing carhartt and uh, camo and then other people wearing like very, uh, urban hip hop clothing. Yeah. Yep,
1: I I totally get it.
0: So, you know, now that we know that you're a seventh to eighth generation farm family, you know, between you, your wife and your children, um, how does the farming aspect play into your daily life? Do you, do you actively, I know that you're a fractional CMO, do you actively also run the farm? And that's like another part of your career or what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I would say the answer to that is sort of, so we have, uh, in the family, we've got kind of two separate, um, pockets where we farm. One is right around our place. Um, we do a little over 300 acres, uh, which is, um, not all that significant uh, amount of size, uh, relative to the other farmers in the area, but that's right around our home place. And then about two hours North where my wife Uh, my wife's from her dad's side of her family Uh, we've got another farm up there that um, again in the family we kind of between my mother-in-law and brother-in-law we kind of help manage and um, do a bunch of different work and it it varies on the amount of work that we're doing whether we're hiring it out for custom work or we're doing cultivation work ourselves, or we're Um, hiring out harvest or helping with harvest or doing some combination of it ourselves so it varies but we don't we don't at least right now we don't do any livestock so it's all um, it's kind of a mad dash in the spring to get crops in the ground um, get the get the ground cultivated and then you kind of sit around and wait work on equipment and Mm -hmm. uh, wait till harvest and then it's a mad dash for another you know three weeks or so So, I mean, it's, it's what we do. It's, it's my everyday life. I get up, I gotta, you know, go, um, we do a bunch of chickens. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I gotta get out and, you know, let the chickens out, which is not like a, a a big deal at all. Um, I'm kind of joking about that, but, um, (laughs) no, like I've, I love being outside. My kids were always working in the barn or I was working in the shop, doing something and, and just being outside. So. It's kind of a part of my life. It's definitely not uh nearly as consuming as the fractional CMO work or or the rest of my professional interesting. Um when it's not uh you know planting season or harvest season. Um the the amount of work that I do really like heavily farm related is is pretty minimal.
0: So it's very seasonally dependent. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. And you said that. Your whole family—it's like a family affair. Do you find that that's a way that your family can bond and get closer to one another, and you spend like quality family time, or is it like super stressful? All right, you do this, you do this, <laughs> let's go. How does that yeah, look? Because I'm I'm a little bit removed. Um, previous generations of mine had like the 300 acre farm in Iowa, mm-hmm. and I I never got to see that, so I'm probably yeah. the only generation of the Stocktails that you know is, is ignorant to that question I'm asking you. Sure.
1: No, I would say it's for us, it's been a, it's been a really fun thing. It's it, some of it hasn't really been by choice. It's kind of been by force. And if there's a situation that took place here a couple, couple years back that really kind of, um, fast forwarded a lot of that, um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law father-in-law farmed his whole life, um, father-in-law and mother-in-law were on their way to a church small group meeting, got, um, had a young kid, uh, on his phone, across the center line, uh, head on collision and my father-in-law was killed in that accident a couple of years back. So um, fortunately, uh, as far as the farming goes, fortunately my mother-in-law was a very active partner in that. She was more the business side of that than the, the physical labor side of it, but she understands everything about that, um, uh, you know, marketing grain and and doing all that stuff. So um, it, it was a moment where my brother-in-law and I kind of really, uh, stepped up because you just we had to um and we both love being outside we both love the kind of the the values that come from farming we appreciate you know being able to show our kids hard work hey like groceries like your food doesn't it doesn't just appear on a you know supermarket shelf like somebody's got to actually get it there and grow it and takes a lot of faith to put, you know, a million dollars worth of seed in the ground and start praying and like, Hey, I hope we get some rain and some sunshine. Cause we got, you know, we got bills to pay and we got mouths to feed and not just our own. Like, um, so there's a whole lot of stuff that we can get into. That's a lot heavier, but, um, we, I love, I love farming. I've always loved farming. I was that I grew up in a tiny, tiny town again, very ag rural community our my town was like 3000 people, but like my mm-hmm. dad and I were the type of people, like, Anyone from church needed chore help, like somebody's sick or somebody's gone, like, hey, call them up. They'll go, you know, feed cattle, do hogs, whatever. Um, so I'm, I've am i been around that my whole life, and I love doing that. So um, I always helped out anyway. Um, ever since joining joining my wife's family, I always kind of got involved and helped out with that anyway. But it's, it's kind of really become, uh, with my father-in-law's passing, something that there's just new roles for people to play. And, and we've all kind of stepped into that.
0: Well, one So bonding,
1: your your question, your first question, like, is that a family bonding thing? There are times like we get yeah. to like, I got four kids, my brother, brother-in-law has four kids. Like we're always, they're all playing, you know, we're all working together, working on equipment or riding in the tractors or whatever. And, um, but the but, bond,
0: the, your answer sort of tells, you know, a very deep story. You know, we, we've known each other before this podcast, so I was aware of the story and you know, hearing that always strikes a chord. But one of the things that comes to mind is that. Um, you know, the bond is more than just happy go lucky. Like, hey, I help you, you help me. It's like, no, this is not only for, um, the benefit of the community, but for the survival of the community and the greater, mm-hmm. you know, community at large. Getting them, them their food and it, it, the the lessons are are not without, um, sacrifice and de- like you said, faith. Um, and then for you, leadership, you had to step, you had to step up to the plate, um. So with that being said, you know how how does the the farming and that aspect of your life uh, influence and translate to the fractional CMO? Like one, it's agriculturally you're a leader in your community, your family, and your farming enterprise, but you're also a fractional leader for marketing and your community at large. There.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's we could go down a couple different paths with that. I mean, there's I would say natural tendencies or maybe. Um, Um, nurtured tendencies that a lot of leaders have that, that, um, you know, you just step up or step into a situation when, when somebody needs to fill a gap, I think we could go down that path. I think for me, maybe what's been the most like tactical um, crossover between the farming side of it and my professional work as a fractional CMO is uh, being in an ag community. There are just, there are a lot of um, ag related uh, professions or companies or groups, organizations that, uh, whether they're involved in ag directly or indirectly, or their influence or impacted by, um, agriculture, like not very many people understand, um, the kind of influence, like the grain commodity market has pricing has on, uh, pricing for everything else. But so anyway, suffice it to say, there's a lot of companies around here in an ag based rural community where, um, having like tangible on-farm knowledge can cross over into maybe the the boardroom or the operations side of a business to say, all right, we're trying to move more products or we're trying to uh, launch a new business. I had a client for a period. Um, uh, it was probably two years back there. I was, they were a client for probably a couple of years and we, with them, we launched a couple of new, new businesses. We launched one new business. And a number of new products that were all in the directly in the agriculture industry. So um, being able to um, bring that to an executive team and say, "Hey, these are the concerns that people have. These are this is how your audience thinks." And um, it's not just from a place of speculation, but but it's either a place of if not specific knowledge, at least familiarity. And I think that's uh, that's a a, a very tactical like crossover uh between the egg world and in my professional world and I think too you just get a whole lot of other um there's just um I'll get on I'll get on a little pedestal for those of us around the Midwest here like we're not we're not upset about the fact that there's that old Midwest work ethic kind of an idea so when you have kids um growing up that are in an egg community, uh, I mean I went to school with kids that like in the spring and fall like they they weren't in school. Like they weren't in school, they were helping, uh, they were driving a tractor 20 miles to town at, you know, 12 years old mm-hmm. and they were bringing it to the grain elevator or they were getting crops in the ground during planting, or they were running a grain cart or something in the harvest or whatever it might be. They did chores with cattle, feeding thousands of cattle every morning, whatever it might be. Um, that just kind of permeates out and, and you get a whole bunch of people that um, if you're not involved in it yourself uh, directly, you're at least very familiar with that lifestyle and, um, you know, the kind of work hard, earn what you get, um, um, you know, nothing's don't take anything for granted kind of a mentality. And and that, that rolls out kind of through and through, through businesses of all kind, not just, not just agriculture.
0: To that point of, you know, the cultural work ethic and the consciousness that, you know, what you plant today, you know, you have to, you reap what you sow. Um, I know as a fractional CMO myself, I take a lot of pride in being very lean and um, at times strict with clients' budgets. So understanding, you know, the efficiency of not having uh, too much fat on the bone for lack of a better term, you know, I've worked with some, marketing agencies that may be from Miami or maybe from New York city that they're like, all right, we need to spend at least this much. And it could be 20, 30, $40,000 on a campaign. And I'm like, okay, but that's, if you want to buy clicks and views, what can we do organically through just labor and, and the resources we have at hand? That's not just a, a cash dependent thing. And it sounds like, you know, your work ethic as a culture um, you guys totally understand the value of, of organic marketing and and doing it um in a cost-effective way
1: absolutely yeah there's i mean there's just kind of this um how else to describe a good old-fashioned like get your hands dirty and like do the work so mm-hmm. um produce uh work hard um put forth energy focus on something that that's not like just easy sit back relax and let the machine go to work for you like there's a there's a lot of that, um, and I would say there's there's a lot of people around here that um, they're almost uncomfortable with the latter. Like, um, mm-hmm. not everyone, certainly not everyone, but like um, there's an element of if I'm not doing at least something um, that requires effort and energy, like I'm not I'm not earning my keep, or I'm not doing I'm not working as hard as I could. The and you get into that whole conversation about working hard versus working smart and. I don't know that those are um, on opposite ends of a uh, spectrum necessarily.
0: Um, no, like, they're both inputs for efficiency.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure.
0: Right. Like for one sure. of my favorite quotes is don't do your best, do what's required. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. I like that.
0: So, and I will give a shout out to Alex Ramosi. Um, he inspired that quote. So not, not taken as my yeah. own. Um, yeah. I like, I like I guess- Alex Ramosi's stuff. <laughs> One of the questions, another question I have for you is kind of what motivates you and inspires you to do fractional CMO work specifically?
1: Yeah, good question. I would say I, I love at a, at a pretty deep level. I love like just thinking about and understanding people, like how people move, work, like how they make decisions uh, how their brain works, why we do what we do, what makes us tick, like almost like on a psychological level. Um, and I, I discovered it late. I would say uh, I was, I would say I was a couple of years into college before I really discovered uh, my appreciation or um, interest in that, my wonder about that, my curiosity there. So um, for me, um I like that kind of like loose, arbitrary, kind of like, how how do we do it? We do human behavior type of a thing. But I also like to be able to um, prove out like, oh, we, we put, you know, $10 in the, in the, the marketing machine and we got $20 out of value. Like, that's really cool. Like the direct response type of relationship. So um, I would just say like, um helping people think through like big, big picture, like what are the right problems to solve and what's going to have the biggest impact and how do we uh, ethically manipulate our audience to take an action that we want them to is, is really just kind of a fascinating day-to-day role like that you get to play. It's kind of like you're, you're treating the world almost as a laboratory and, and you're, and humans, which are, we're all weird, weird creatures, but like, we're just experimenting. And I think that's what makes marketing so much fun. I tell clients and students this all the time is that like everything in this world is an experiment. Like that is one of my fundamental core beliefs of this discipline we call marketing is that it's all an experiment Um, between algorithm changes and uh, current events and how quickly people change and what's a hot trending uh, idea or concept right now. Like, what worked yesterday might not work today and what didn't work yesterday might make perfect sense today. So we just need to experiment. We need to experiment often quickly, learn as fast as we can, hopefully faster than the competition um, and, and move, move the needle forward. So that's, that's just a terrific amount of fun for me. I think the other thing that's kind of landed me here ultimately in my career is I um, I've, I've always been um, I've always kind of operated with that, we'll say it sales, maybe it's sales or maybe it's more of an entrepreneurial kind of a mindset. I'm not certain between those two, uh, but like I started my career in the sales world, uh, business mm-hmm. development, relationship development, long, complex sales, um, not transactional. And you just really had to figure out how to work with people. Um, spent 10 years with with that company and eventually held the, the senior marketing role there and um it was all well and good and it was fun but but kind of I wouldn't say plateaued but just got to a point where it's like I'm not certain what else is is left other than just a whole bunch more of this and and after after I left that organization I went through a, a a period of probably five or six years where I did these almost little mini sprints with a series of different organizations from um publicly traded companies and consumer product goods all the way down to the ag startup I mentioned, or um, high tech, industrial tech, um, home goods, like kind of spent a whole uh, different, uh, a bunch of different amounts of time ranging from probably nine months to like 20 months over that period with these different organizations and leaned in really deeply and helped them focus on one or two very specific um, initiatives or tasks. And each one of those, we were able to accomplish um, uh, what we set out to. And, and in most cases, more than that. And it was, it ended up being this um, this uh, this runway or this buildup, if you would, for this fractional CMO model where it's like, hey, why don't you come in, bring some experience, bring some expertise, some knowledge, help us focus on this one or two like key things that we're trying to do. Maybe we're going through a merger. Maybe we need to reinvent our brand or um, we plateaued our sales. We need to create a lead generation machine, whatever it might be. Um, I've got all these probably five or six, four or five different little like case studies of like coming into an organization and, and really leaning in hard and heavy on a specific task or idea or concept or initiative, and then carrying that out. So essentially it was an in-house, um, CMO role multiple times over in in these little bursts that kind of said, man, this is really fun. If I could do that full time professionally um, and step into other organizations and help them kind of sort through, sift through all these good ideas and say, okay, these are the right three ideas that we, good ideas that we need to focus on. And here's a plan for how we can accomplish that, help them track, help them think differently. All that stuff just seemed like a a, a massive win for me. And I just get so much joy out of doing that. Um, It's, it's. I tell people all the time, it's really a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun what I get to do. So uh, I'm not upset about kind of uh, that whole journey and that process and landing where I have.
0: Well, I would have to second you on the notion that it is a lot of fun to solve these bigger problems and come in and and use your leveraged experience you've accumulated over a decade plus in that industry. Um, it, the convergence of marketing, sales, leadership, and the agriculture, the specific industry you're in kind of puts you in a blue ocean where it's like, you know, not anyone that's a CMO or not anyone that's an ag or not anyone that's a leader can do those things. You have that, that uh, overlap in the Venn diagram, if you will, that like that's your sweet spot for helping your community in that specific place, which is, which is really cool. And one of the reasons I love doing podcasts with other fractional marketing leaders is because, you know, there's not one size fit all. It's a very niche. And um, I think companies finding the right pr- fractional can really make or break uh, their growth. And, you know, not only their growth, but their leadership's uh, mental health, or, you know, mm-hmm. their team's um, team's vision. So there's yeah. a lot of different problems that fractional solve. But I think your specific background and approach and community you know, puts you in a, in a category of one, which is a really cool place to be. It's, one thing I wanted to follow up on, you know, while you were answering is you also teach. So can, oh yeah. can you kind of go into that as well?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've been uh, involved at uh, a couple of the universities here locally, but I teach, um, I teach on a regular basis at one of them. Um, uh, and I've done that now for going on probably seven years or so. I teach um, a few different courses that range from kind of a a communications class, intercultural communications, which is a ton of fun. Um, There is no shortage of uh, material to discuss in that class as of late. So that's been kind of a riot. Um, And then I also teach sales, um, sales management and some marketing classes for the, the master's program there. And, um, that, that too is just another one of those things that is an absolute riot. Like I love, love doing that. It's, it's a little cliche to say, but it's impressive what, what I will learn, what as an instructor, like what you can learn from the students and particularly in the MBA, the master's course, um, we are, our university follows a cohort model. So for the most part, um, a group of students that starts that program, probably 80% of them that graduate in that given year will be part of that same cohort that started together. So it's a ton of fun to follow that, that pocket of students. And as they learn and lean on each other, learn from and lean on each other. Um, and, and us as instructors too, I get to uh, be involved in a couple different classes with them. So to kind of um, get to know them first and foremost, but, but also learn from these I mean, amazing, amazing executives and, um, up and coming leaders and in some really ridiculously awesome organizations so it's an absolute blast right i love love doing that and i think that's a little bit um why that overlap makes sense the the fractional role and the uh the the teaching role overlap for me is i i think i approach almost both of those from the same standpoint of like uh as a teacher or a coach and just to say Mm. um um it's, it's never fun to just give someone the answer like that doesn't benefit anyone. Um, Let's let's think about how to think about this. Let's let's really actually understand what's the problem at hand and how can we approach it and what tools do we have to work with. And um so whether that's a student, whether that's a client, um kind of trying to kind of come at every situation with that kind of a, a mentality is is a lot of
0: fun. You you approach it almost as if you're cracking the meta, and when I say meta, I mean most effective tactics available. Um, yeah, sure. always yep. always changes. Um, you know the meta that that kind of came from me with my background in, in wrestling. That's where I started, and I was a wrestling coach, and then I I, I tried my hand as an athlete and uh, was competitive in Brazilian jiu jitsu and in cage fighting. I know wrestling is big out in the Midwest also, and and those sure types of sports but one of the things that you said that just struck a chord with me to my to my bonus how similar coaching and teaching coaching is to fractional it's like i look at coaching as each wrestler each jujitsu, each uh, student or whatever you want to call them they have their own set of attributes that are unique to only them you know mm-hmm. we, we say in wrestling it's for everybody not everybody but everybody meaning if you're short and stocky you're tall and lanky There's a certain set of strategies and tactics that you can apply to increase your chance likelihood of winning. Right. Same with with marketing and sales. You know, you're not going to guarantee a state championship. You're not going to guarantee, you know, 60% net profit, a hundred million dollar a year growth and 12 months. You can't guarantee these grand slam home runs, but what you can do is at each at bat, fine tune um, what they're doing in training and preparation and mentality um, in their homework, if you will, so that when yeah. it's time to perform for their unique set of attributes and their unique position, that they have the highest likelihood of achieving their goal, right? So yeah, that's such a in I've probably learned more from coaching than in the se- several years I have than I actually was as a competitor. And for you to say that you learn more from teaching makes me want to go and reach out to my local universities, and be like, hey, <laughs> what do you need help with? Yeah, because you know, that just fires me up.
1: Yeah. No, I get it. That's awesome.
0: That's very cool. So, you know, one of the the things that I love to talk about with other entrepreneurs, you know, we talk about life, liberty, and pursuit of property. I think we've talked a lot about, you know, what's what life is like for Reed out in Sioux Falls, Southeast Dakota area, um, kind of the freedom you get to follow your passions and serve your community. But in, in the end, like, what is the goal with fractional CMO, um, what what do you always try and accomplish for your for your clients and and what is like the unique value that that you try to add professionally to your community? It's, that's it's a, a very that's, hairy question. So that's me, a big
1: I mean. question. I was gonna say like that's uh that's uh, let uh, me that's,
0: I'll start uh, with the first part. What is like okay. the, what is your end goal? What is your what is your big hairy audacious goal professionally? Where do you see yourself five, 10 years?
1: This is for me now personally.
0: Yeah, this is for you, your business. Yep.
1: Okay, so um, where where it all came down for me with setting out on doing fractional work on a full-time basis was, um, I'm one of those people I would say that's maybe slightly difficult to employ. Mm. Um, So um, I really appreciate the freedom and flexibility that I have over my schedule. And... um, it, this might sound trivial, but just the ability to know that I don't need anyone's permission to take a day off, go on vacation, go work remotely at the lake or something like that, Um, that I can roll into the office at five in the morning knock out a full day's work by 10 o'clock if I'm in a flow state, or I can sit at home and have coffee with my wife and hang out with my kids until noon if I really feel like it, and um and nobody's there, you know, waiting, watching, you know, do I have a, do I have my butt in a seat somewhere? Uh, cause I've, I've been in certain roles, uh, corporate roles that were like that, whether or not anyone would say it, um, that it was, um, you just kind of had that mentality, that old school style leadership. And again, I think that goes back to our Midwestern, like, I don't see you working kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a lot of freedom of flexibility, I've got four little kiddos that I mentioned and the oldest is just turned six. So like they're in a, we're not like, our house is controlled chaos basically at all moments. And like the ability to not only be there, help out um, with that, but just like enjoy that time versus um, what a lot of professionals um, that I know have gone through or mentors have talked about is like, I worked so hard when I was your age, like I was putting in, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Um, and I missed like my kid's childhood. and it's like, man, I just don't want to do that. I have no interest in that. So, um, for me, it's I want to work. I'm the type like I don't know that i'll I'll retire like at some point, like I'll retire like formally or mm-hmm. like I'll be the guy that's trying to climb into a tractor when i'm eighty five years old, right? And like getting the ride up on the forklift because I can't climb the ladder anymore. But um, <laughs> like I want to I want to have a life that I don't need to take vacations from. So, um, for me, that's just, that's that, that I, the best way I can boil that all down is I want the freedom of flexibility now, um, that if I want to work hard and chase a dollar, I can, if I want to relax and spend time with my family or my friends, um, or just myself, like I can, um, we have a, we have a, a lake house, um, and I love spending time there, um, The I think the ability to, uh, and my internet, oddly enough, is better at the lake than it is here. So like, I can can work really efficiently, really well from the lake. And like, just the ability to be like, look, let's go, let's go spend a week. Like, let's just go. And I'll still work. I'll still serve my clients. Um, And uh, the ability to do that now versus waiting until I'm 55, 60, 65 years old to take all this time off when you can't, can't feel like you, you could go do something if you wanted to. I'm just working, I would say working hard on uh, having a life that I don't, I don't need vacations from.
0: I, I think read one of the things you, you said that really struck home and it goes back to in the beginning of our conversation talking about how it was just a way of life where you just, you, there's different seasons, right? So there's the spring and the fall where you're, planting and then you're you're harvesting and then the summer winter it's there's extreme temperatures and you kind of buckle down and you know, you do your, your deeper work, your more management work. Um, From a life perspective, you're in a season of raising children and growing a fractional business that supports your fatherhood and family ambitions, which, you know, anyone listening is, is clear to see that's a strong value, but you know, your, your children and your community, they don't care how many hours you put into work. They care about the results, right? Like for me, I could be a work from home dad and have my daughter around all the time. But if I'm always on my phone doing emails, doing client calls, like I'm there, but I'm not really there. Like the mm-hmm. time, yeah, the time spent near her is there, but I'm not engaged. Like she shouldn't right. care, mm-hmm. like that's not helping. It's still, it's still whether she's at daycare or near me, it, it the same amount of attention is being spent. So it's so like to your point, if you can, as lo- you want the freedom to do the work, you, you a work life balance. You don't need a vacation from that supports your kind of holistic, well rounded, um, big goals, which are to have an eight an eight generation farm, to support your local community through the school, to support support your local businesses, to help support the nation at large through agriculture, because you have this you know accumulated experience where they don't have to pay somebody for their time, you pay you they pay you to help them with the result, which is just absolutely huge and I think we're going to see more and more as an industry of uh, people not clock watching their employees because they realize that that might not be the most productive use of time as yeah. opposed to just like hey, let's do project management from a you know an accomplishment basis. Um
1: yeah. That's yeah. a, a very Yeah, absolutely. I I, a couple of things that you you mentioned there gave me some ideas. And um, I think one of the things that I would say, especially watching students, but even just other adults, my age, um, this idea that um, you you use the term work-life balance, or maybe I did, I'm not sure, but um, this idea, I think there's still a prevalent kind of understanding that those imply like opposing forces at some Mm -hmm. level, like I work to live or I live to work or vice versa. And, and, and I think you have a generation now, generations uh, multiple that are entering the workforce or have have been in the workforce now for a period of a few years that, that don't, don't approach the equation that way. It's, these Mm -hmm. are not like I get enough of this and then I get enough of this. It's like, it's just, it's, it's a fluid thing. Like it permeates, like, yeah, it's it's, integrated in some, some way. And, um i think the more time people spend um you know nurturing those those folks and those folks entering into more senior leadership positions that's when you'll probably start to notice an impact and at least in certain organizations anyway where it's less uh how many butts do we have and how many seats and how many hours are being clocked and it's like let's just look at the let's look at the end result let's look at the product and and man if if tina can outwork everyone working 20 hours a week like my goodness let's make sure we're paying her enough to keep her around for those 20 hours that she's willing to give us so um yeah i think it's i think it's really neat it'll be interesting to see the like the what the byproduct of that is like long term right like um you have everything cyclical and here again we're getting into like kind of human behavior and how this mm-hmm. all works but like you know you look at a lot of small businesses that are closing or being sold uh, come from the baby boomer generation. It's the the largest number of retirees it, it is from businesses being sold. Well, you look back when those people were our age, when they were young adults, and they were starting business. Like you had to start a bit, like like that was the option.
0: That was how you created or, that's like, a. That's how you did it. Yeah,
1: and so you have a lot of these people in that age bracket. I would say in a, in a kind of a legacy leadership position. Um, there were certain leadership qualities that, that translated from the workplace to the home for those people. Right. So it was, uh, there was no highway option for a lot of these people, for boomers and gen Xers. It was like, there's no high, like you don't have an option. Like you just do this, yeah. you just do this. Then you move into millennials and now it's like, look, I was forced, everything was forced down my throat, whatever that guy wanted. So now I'm going to give my kids the opposite of that and anything you want, you can have. And I'm just going to try mm. so we have these cyclical things. Right. So now it's like, well, what is this, what is this transition? of, uh, the gig economy and the work from home, um, virtual environment. What's the, what's the offset of that? What's the, what's the counter cycle Mm. element to that? That'll be interesting to to see. What's the other
0: side of the swing. It's funny you say that because I was talking to someone in the wealth management space this week and the number I had in my mind of private equity held by, baby boomers in the United States, I thought it was like 6.1 trillion. And this guy who works in that industry, is like, it's eight. He's like closer to eight trillion wow. of wow. small business, private equity held currently today, 2023 by baby boomer business owners. Right? There was a period of time where 60 plus percent of the workforce was small business um, yeah. employees. Now I, to your point, how it, it comes back and it's encyclical cyclical. I'm really impressed by the scrappy entrepreneurship of the younger Gen Z. Like they are, they are figuring out how to do one-man online businesses where they're just like, I, I can't stand to do what the millennials and Gen X did, which is punch a clock and just kind of oh, eat crap. Yeah, you know, for sixty yeah. hours a week. Like I could just do this efficiently. Um, so there is that, there is that entrepreneurial seed being planted and cultivated. Yeah. I, I'm seeing it, but we'll, I'm interested to see what happens with that six to eight trillion dollars worth of private equity because somewhat what are they going to do, close the doors on that entire yeah thing? Go somewhere. i look at two options one one they find someone that's in a younger age bracket that can man the ship and do like a succession plan through like a uh, private sale or two they can be gobbled up by large pe and hedge fund and vc like large institutional finance which just makes conglomerate monopolize like big business you know hold um you know, part of the, part of the show is belief and appreciation of the American dream. I think that we're going to, we're going to see a resurgence and renaissance of younger entrepreneurs that can kind of take over the farm, if you will. And, um, you know, keep, keep working towards that integrated life balance where I, you know, I grew up as a wrestler and and I have friends that are either full-time in wrestling or they're part-time, but like splitting time. So like I have have friends that are college coaches, friends that, you know, maybe work construction, but do refereeing and they're just so happy making money, earning an income following their passion. But I think blessed are we that can find something that integrates completely with, you know, financially uh, from a freedom standpoint, from a life and a passion standpoint, just that right fit to you know, that's not necessarily, you know, I tried to be a cage fighter. I realized, you know, my priorities as I get older have changed. Um, But really teaching yourself what the human aspect of how do I become a full integrated person? And yeah, work is a big part of it, but it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I think some people have this negative connotation between work being bad. It's like, yeah, no, it can be incredibly rewarding. In fact, it's one of the most rewarding things you can do.
1: For sure. Yeah. It's, it's quite cliche to say, but like, um, I I won't, I won't offer the, the cliche, you know, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. Like there are moments where this, I love being outside. I love working in the field. I love, um, building something. I love working with other companies on, but like, there are moments where it's difficult and you got still got it. Like that's whether that axiom is completely true or not, we're not getting it into, but like, I do really like the idea that, Figuring out and having a lot of self-awareness, like what are you truly actually passionate about? And you can, like the barrier of entry on almost any business is is ridiculously low anymore. So um, that old adage that like, if if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I, I feel a lot, I feel a lot of truth in that. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd offer that, I guess.
0: No, I mean, that's a great. That's a great adage, right? I feel I kind of feel the same way. You know, I graduated college, and I was like, no one's knocking my door down to hire a philosophy and English literature student.
1: Like, so why not go cage fight and get punched in the face? That was yeah. your logic, you that's know. Awesome.
0: So I, I was like, I'll be a warrior poet, and then I became like more practical, practical as I got older. I'm like, awesome. yeah, I want to have a family and uh, support them. So maybe, uh, oh, that's terrific. <laughs> but, but to your point. um, the older I get, the more I think about like, well, wow, I I did these things, but if I can do this, then anyone can do this. And if and I also look at peers that are further along, I'm like, well, the more I get to know them, the more I'm like, Oh, well, if they could do it, then I could do it. And I think it's that's that human connection too. Right. Like it goes, it's, it's a hand, it's like getting help, somebody else pulling you up and, and getting you better. And I want to give back and give people a hand up too. Right. Yeah, so, for sure.
1: I've, well, uh, awesome. I've had a couple conversations with a buddy and we're, we're, I'm tempted to write this book ab- about the idea that there's no such thing as adults. Like the older you get, like we're all like, you just realize every single person is just winging this thing. We're five-year-olds
0: that continue to age.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's some, <laughs> there's some different examples of that, that, uh, but the more you look for, the more you look for um, instances that would fill a book about ideas like that, it's, it's pretty comical. It probably won't happen, but uh.
0: from a philosophy standpoint, one of my favorite things to study was the idea of time travel. So I always like to ask guests, one of my favorite questions is the time traveler's axiom. So if you were a, you know, 10 year old read and mm. an eight year old read, what would each of them say about where you're at and what you're doing? And my, my, my goal, like my big Harry audacious goal would be that my 10 year old will be excited to live the path. And be like, "All right, that's awesome." And the eighty-year-old would look back and be like, "Well, I don't have any regrets." Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I would say my eighty-year-old one is probably a little bit easier in that—that that it's like, um, don't don't have regrets. Follow follow what makes sense. Follow your heart. Follow your passions, and and try and find a way that you can do that at a level that will um, support a family. Um, not even necessarily build a crazy wild lifestyle, but like like just support a family Mm -hmm. um the 10 year old me i mean there's there's an element there's part of me that's like oh go buy some tesla go buy some amazon stock (laughs) right like i want to tell i want to tell myself that um but uh i would say um and i've mentioned i've said this word a couple times already it's like we even even as somebody who just said there's no such thing as adults like we don't have to grow up. Like you can actually Mm. be, you know, in your thirties and forties and have fun. Like fun, isn't a bad thing. Fun's not illegal. Like um, fun is fun is, and could and should maybe for more people be the goal and the target. And um, if what you're doing every day doesn't at least fill part of that bucket, um, then maybe take a hard look at what's going on.
0: That's almost the exact answer that my, Central Pennsylvania philosophy professor would give. So maybe you should teach more than just marketing and sales, but also philosophy.
1: Uh, We'll see. see.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I want to have whoever's listening, get the opportunity to reach out to you, uh, make a connection. Um, If they're in the ag business out in the Midwest and they want some localized, you know, super insightful and specialized help from Reed, um, I want people to be able to reach out. So Reed, how can people find you?
1: Um, uh, my consulting, uh, marketing consulting company is called Oak and Arrow. So like Oak, like the tree and Arrow, like, um, that's pretty straightforward. What you would what shoot out of a bow, Oak yep. and Arrow, uh, consulting.com. Uh, my email address is just Reed at Oak and Arrow consulting.com. R E I D at Oak and Arrow Um, I'm on the socials, unfortunately, um, <laughs> most of them anyway. Um, so, uh, Instagram is probably, I think it's read outside just my name and then the word outside, um, Facebook is just my name. Um, yeah, any of my contact info if somebody really wants to get a hold of me, it's going to be on that website though.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks for your time and everyone, if you like the show, like subscribe and follow and please share it. And, uh, this is Reed and Ross bringing the thunder to your business.